Get connected with Take-Two Radio on Facebook or Twitter at Take-Two Radio. For email updates on future shows, follow at Blog Talk Radio. For previous episodes, upcoming guests, and more, visit Take-Two-Radio.com. Hmm. The Mallard. The Mallard Report, the fastest hour in paranormal talk radio. Oh. It's the Mallard Report. Hey. It's the Mallard. The opinions expressed on the Mallard Report are those of the host and participants. All listeners are advised to make their own decisions. And now your host, Jim Mallard. That it is. Welcome to the Mallard Report. Uh, listen, review, subscribe. If you come over to the website, you can subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, bunch of other sites that just slipped out of my mind. YouTube is the one I'm pushing currently. And I just joined Instagram for some not apparent reason to me. So if you want to see pictures of me or video as I did tonight, man, I should have put a hat on before I did that video or did my hair or something. But anyways, enough about how bad all that stuff went. My guest tonight is Dr. Roy Hill. First, Roy, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you. You did, yeah, we were just talking a little bit before we started here. You just got back from Arizona, so uh, selling the book out there and doing all all that fun stuff. Yes, yes, I um, like to travel whenever I can and uh, present on uh, near death experiences. At first, I want to I I told you I wanted to thank I want to thank John, who is your, is your PR guy, whatever. What, what I don't even know his official title. I, I had it in front of me and I didn't write it down. But he's been great to work with trying to get back and forth and get this date set up. So first, I want to do that. And yeah, thank him yeah, for, all the, for all that work because I, I, I can be a pain at times. I'm, I'll, I'll admit it to you. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so for my listeners who don't necessarily know who you are, can you give us a brief overview of your bio? Sure. Uh, I worked 20 years for the Federal Bureau of Prisons and uh, as a psychologist and then also as, um, you know, eventually the chief psychologist, but I gave all that up to do spiritual work uh, to promote near-death experiences. So that's what I've been doing probably for the last six months. Um, and I have a book out called Psychology and the Near-Death Experience. And uh, it's pretty much an in-depth overview of near-death experiences uh, for those who really want to get into the meat of the issue. Fascinating thing. So we'll, we'll get there. Um, okay. It, it, interesting that you decided to give up the career, so to speak, though. That must have took some uh, sleepless nights, I'm guessing. Well, a little bit. Um, yeah, I gave up pretty much a good salary and a good position. Uh, I supervise a variety of programs. Uh, so, but I really think that uh, what I'm doing now is much more important, um, even though what I was doing then I view as important. Uh, but really, I think near-death experiences speak to people in an age where people are not feeling 
like they're really hurt or they feel lost. And so what I try to do is to answer some of the big questions of life. And I think that's what near-death experiences do. They answer some of the bigger questions uh, that uh, people face. And so if I can give or allow people a little bit of comfort or happiness um, and uh, spiritual connection, uh, that's what I try to do. And um, I would I I don't know why I'm inclined to do this. I guess um, a I love their website, and I, I said that a couple weeks ago about another publisher. But it's true. Some some publishers' websites aren't that great. But I said it, not you. It's okay. But White Crow Books <laughs> over there has has a good uh, selection of paranormal themes. Oh, stuff. they do. Yeah, so. they have an excellent excellent uh, uh, library. Yes, yes, for paranormal radio station. Um, you know, I would definitely encourage your readers to check it out or your listeners to check it out. Yeah, well, like I said, I was checking it out. So uh, i pro- probably be saying their name a couple more times if, if I have my way, but we'll see how that all comes together. But So I guess so. this is going to sound like a horrible, horrible question, but i just got to ask it. So what made you want to write a book about all this? Well, you know, uh, it kind of um, – really, to get into that, I uh, need a few minutes to – talk about my own experience, my spiritually transformative experience, how I got into the whole field in the first place. Something uh, told me I was jumping like. the gun by asking that question, but okay, so tell me about your experience oh, no, first, no, then we'll come back good. to the... <laughs> yeah, so it was about um, 16 years ago, I was working at a federal institution, and I had an inmate who sister had passed away and the guy was pretty upset about it. And so um, I ended up having to place him on suicide watch because he was thinking about hurting himself. And a couple of days in, he got better mysteriously very quickly. And I thought, well, you know, what's going on and how come he improved so quickly? So I asked him and he said, well, my deceased sister is speaking to me. I thought, oh boy, you know, here's probably a psychotic process going on. And, uh, but then he said, she's telling me that I'm okay and that she's been allowed to help me for a little while and that I have important purpose in my life and I really shouldn't be wasting time here on, on suicide watch. And uh, that she loves me and is with me. After I heard that, I thought about it. I said, well, this is not like any auditory hallucination I ever heard, because mentally ill people, when they hear voices, they're usually very short, negative, and cryptic. So in other words, they're never helpful. And this was quite helpful. So because his mental status looked good, I uh, took him off watch and uh, placed him under the observation of the officers on the unit. Uh, so uh, I saw him the next day and I asked him, well, is your deceased sister still talking to you? And he said, yes. And I thought, uh, wow, okay, what, what should I go from here? He says, well, what is she saying? She says, well, she's telling me that you don't believe me <laughs> and though that you shall believe she has a message for you. And at this point, I was getting goosebumps and hair sticking up and I'm thinking, wow, um, that's pretty weird. 
I was raised with pretty much a Baptist background, so this was out of my comfort zone. So I said, well, what's her message? He says, quarter. Quarter? What does that mean? So I asked him, does that mean like quarter the coin or quarter something full? He said, quarter the coin. And I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, I don't know. She won't tell me. So he leaves, and then I have another guy come in. This guy's a white Muslim, and he's ranting about the hypocrisy in the United States. And I'm half listening to him when he says, Dr. Hill, do you know what's written on a quarter? I said, in God we trust. He goes, that's right. And then I dawned on me what that meant. And nobody had asked me that question before or since. So the synchronicity of the timing, I couldn't ignore. So I brought the other guy back in and I asked him, I says, well, did your deceased sister say anything else? And he said, well, yeah. Uh, He says that your wife is pregnant. You're going to have a son and he'll be born on Christmas Day. Oh, well, that's pretty specific. So I knew that my wife was pregnant and my son uh, was going to be a, a boy. Um, but, you know, he could have overheard it by somebody. Now, staff aren't supposed to say anything about other staff in front of inmates. Uh, so it's unlikely, but maybe still he accidentally heard something. So I thought, well, you know, the true test will be whether my son will be born on Christmas Day. Well, he was born on January 7th, and for another 11 years, that really bothered me. I was at another institution here in Colorado, and I thought, you know, there's got to be some explanation for this, how the first part seemed surreal and the second part not. And then I had epiphany. First, there was a declaration that I didn't have faith. Then there was a statement that I needed to trust in God. So on a leap of faith, I Googled Christmas Day and January 7th, knowing full well as everybody else, Christmas Day is the 25th. Lo and behold, a lot of stuff came up. Turns out we use the Roman calendar, the Julian calendar, but there's a Christian calendar that predates the Roman calendar, and it's the Gregorian calendar. In fact, uh, all the Orthodox Christians still use the Christian calendar, and Christmas Day is January 7th. So what do I do with that information? Uh, I started looking um, at uh, different ways to explain it, and I went to some Christian friends, and they said, oh, Doc, you know, it's the devil. It's got to be the devil. But, well, you know, the devil's not going to tell me to uh, have faith in God. So I knew about near-death experiences, and I knew about the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, and there's about now 4,000 accounts, at that time 3,000. I kept reading more and more and more, and the more I read, the more I realized they were all saying the same thing. And it was like a jigsaw puzzle coming together, and all the big questions of life and of existence were answered. And so through that, I've started to uh, correspond uh, with some people in the community and they encouraged me to write a book because I had some interesting ideas as a psychologist and just, just kind of my analytical mind to look at these things. So that's how I wrote the book. I know that's a long winded answer, but uh, it kind of got me started. That's okay. That's what I, well, as you may, as like I said, 
the notes are flexible, and we'll get through what we need to get through one way or the other. And that's a good okay. answer because the, the I was going to ask if you had a near death experience yourself, so that kind of got us to how you got into it. So it's all good. Right now, I've not had a near death experience, but I've had a lot of spiritually transformative experiences since. So, yeah, uh, and, and that's important for your listeners because you know I run a near death experience group here in, in Colorado Springs, an IANS group, and I had one one lady uh, say to me, "says You know, I'm really glad I listened to you because I heard heard Evan and I was angry." But you're angry. Why are you angry? He says, because he had such a wonderful near-death experience, and I haven't. And I was jealous, and I wanted to have that experience. And you're telling me that that I can have experiences too, and I can connect with the other side as well without having a near-death experience. So I hope that resonates with some of your listeners too. It, it seems, talking to some of my listeners out there, well, I want to say more than most. It, se- it seems surprising to me how many of them, when I ask what got them into this, it comes back to a near-death experience or knowing somebody that had one, which seems, you know, yeah. cause nor- normally, maybe I'm foolish, fooling myself, I believe that there's some kind of transcendent moment where they see something or hear, you know, whatever it may be, but it seems that it's much more of a real personal incident, so to speak, I don't know if that's the correct word I want to use at this point, the not. And you're telling me there's, so you said there's thousands of these cases out there, which just blows my mind. Of course, like I said, it seems that I've been concentrated in a group of them, so maybe I shouldn't be so surprised by this all. Yeah, well, I would say a lot more than than thousands. Um, There's been research in the United States, Canada, Europe, and, and uh, the incident rates in near-death experiences range from 3 to 7%. So if you take the average of 5% for the United States alone, it's about 15 million, just for the U.S. alone. If you take the whole world, it's probably reaching over 100 million people have had near-death experiences of one sort or another. So uh, the numbers are quite larger than just a few thousand. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just dumbfounded thinking there's that many people out there who have had this type yeah, of transformative no, I mean, event. Good. I mean, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're dumbfounded. I, I hope I hope your listeners are dumbfounded too because it's an important point. And, and and here's here's what I really want to say about that. You know, you can't get three people in a room, let's say off the street, three strangers off the street. You bring them off the street, and you ask them their religious beliefs their spiritual beliefs. And you're going to get three different answers more than likely. What I read, read these near-death experiences and the longs, uh, uh, Jeffrey and Jody Long did research from their Enderf website off, off their 4,000 accounts. Um, so when they looked at it, what they found is for the underlying element. Now there are superficial cultural differences, but when you talk about the underlying elements and a near-death experience, they found it does not change regardless of race, religion, culture, age, gender. It doesn't matter. So a five-year-old would have a similar experience as an 80-year-old, fundamentally. A Muslim would have a similar experience as an atheist. In fact, I have a psychologist friend who is an Iranian, and he does research on Shia models in Iran. 
And what he has found from his research is that they have the same elements as the near-death experiences here. So if you're on a jury, okay, and you have, let's say you saw me uh, break open a window and stole something from a store. If you went to a judge and a jury and say, I saw him do it, you know, probably wouldn't convict me just on that alone. But what if five people saw me? Maybe. What if a hundred people on the street saw me knock that over and they all went to court and they say, yeah, I saw him. You know that I would be found guilty because the evidence would be overwhelming, right? Right. What if 15, what if 15 million people thought and said the same thing? You know, you can't, you can't beat that kind of reliability in terms of the validity of the evidence in my mind. So these, these are the types of, of things that really says that these things are real. So I'm because you said they're all the same, so it doesn't matter if it's like a car crash. I'm just trying to figure out in my head different types of things that would cause near-death experiences, and the only thing that comes to my mind is a car crash. Yeah, or... yeah. Maybe maybe I should uh, expound on that a little yeah, bit. Uh, yeah. Um, when I say that near-death experiences are the same, I'm not saying that the causes are are the same. The causes are going to be very different. Uh, nor is everybody going to have all the same elements in a near-death experience, right? And some are very short, like a quick out-of-body. And then there are a lot of cultural differences, too. So let me give you an example. This Native American, this, this is a real case, a Native American, he dies briefly, and he goes up to the spiritual realm, and what is manifest for him is a school bus. And when I say manifest heaven, there's no school buses in heaven per se. Things are, are manifest by thought up there because everything's energy in that realm. So uh, for him, a school bus was manifest. He went in the school bus and there was a bunch of deceased elders, uh, I guess many that he knew, and, and that uh, they were having a peyote ceremony there in the school bus. He says, cool, let me join them. So before he joins him, he touches the edge of the school bus and realizes that there's a different reality there. And that reality was that he was part of this interconnected universe. And it was enormous, and he was part of it. And the fabric of it was love. And he sensed the great intelligence behind the universe. Okay, so there's a few elements there of a near-death experience. Now, uh, here's another example. Uh, this staunch Catholic dies, and this guy believes if you didn't believe in exact rites and rituals of the Catholic Church, you're going to go to hell. What was manifest for him in heaven? A big cathedral. Not surprising. So he delines it to confession because he believes that's what he's supposed to do. An arm comes out of the confession booth. He touches it's Jesus. And what happens when Jesus touches him? He feels that he is interconnected with this whole universe where the fabric of the universe is based on love. And he felt the great intelligence interconnecting everything and that he's part of it. The exact same things as the native felt. But the cultural things, of course, was different. But those are only superficial. So... Interestingly, as a side, Jesus tells them one thing before he sends them back. He says, they basically, it wasn't his time. 
he says, no longer lie to yourself and don't lie to others. Then he was sent back. So those are just a few of maybe 20 or so common elements that people have in a near-death experience. Which, again, I'm out of all the things, you know, because as different as, like you were mentioning, all the different religions and all these different things, as I talk, you know, I talk ghosts and Bigfoot, and, and you're sitting here telling me there's this one element that is nearly unified across the board, and I just still can't even begin to put my mind around all of it. But we're, we're, we're pressing forward, nevertheless. Is there anything, now this may sound like a awkward question at this point, because I I know I've had those dreams where I felt like I was falling, which isn't necessarily yeah. a, a near death experience. But is there markers that you could tell that it's been if somebody's telling you the story that tells you it's been a near death experience versus a say a dream or a nightmare? Yeah, I mean, um, well, near death experience. There's a differences between out of body experiences which you're probably alluding to, which isn't that different than a near-death experience or, or may not be that different. Uh, but a near-death experience is where a person either dies or is in a coma. Uh, so it's a, a bit of a misnomer by the term near-death because people are dead. <laughs> There's no near to it. You, people are dead for a short time, and they're revived somehow, usually through medical technology. And so basically, uh, more people are having them in part because their medical technology is increasing. Hospitals can revive people up to like an hour and a half uh, after somebody has died if they freeze them and put saline solution in their blood and so forth. Uh, so the technology is pretty amazing. And so people are having a lot more near-death experiences because of that. Now, there are people who have out-of-body experiences. Uh, where they go out of their body. In fact, uh, this is getting away from the NDE, but uh, some people say that even in dream, your 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 spirit actually uh, goes a few inches out of your body. So you're sort of in this uh, quasi-body, um, quasi-spirit realm. And so some of your dreams, I believe, um, can be spiritual in nature. And I, and I believe that our spiritual guides or helpers actually communicate with us a lot while we're sleeping. That's my opinion on the matter. Well, that's who I'm asking, is you. Okay, before I jump the shark, I want to read this promo because, well, if I don't, I'll forget. <laughs> the question tonight is brought to you by LateNightDebate.net. Simple enough. So I guess my question, I know, I told you I was jumping the shark, so hate me right now, is... No, it's okay. <laughs> jump all you want. I'm ready to jump with you. Would you oh, would good. you have would you be interested in having a near death experience? You know, um, you know, I would be fine either way. I don't really fear death, uh, but I feel like I have connected a lot with the other side, and so I feel comfortable by not having one, and um, I would be fine having one as well. So. I'm going to let those who are, are uh, help governing my life make a determination of whether one is warranted or not. I kind of go from a position of service, however I can serve and learn is important. And, and let me let me add a little bit to that. 
Um, I don't know if your listeners are interested in the meaning of life. I think people are asking that all their life. In fact, I'm sure they're interested in what the meaning of life is. And people who have near-death experiences come back with an answer. And, of course, it's up to people to um, believe whether it, it truly is. But according to people who have near-death experiences, the reason why we come to Earth in the first place is to learn what we lack in love. Okay? So all of us have missions, even before we were born, to learn maybe two, three, four, five things um, here on Earth to improve ourselves, to make us more loving individuals, more loving souls. And so we come here to learn these things. And that sounds very simple. And it is simple in a sense, but it's actually quite complex because love is multifaceted. Uh, it requires skill sets. Some people think it's a thing. But if you look at the attributes of love, such as inherent respect, forgiveness, sacrifice, humility, and many, many more, uh, they're very difficult to do, especially in very more extreme cases. For instance, it's one thing for you to forgive somebody who made an offhand comment uh, and then apologize. But what if you had a spouse who took all your stuff and left and said, see ya, and, and, and abandoned you? Or what if somebody killed your son or daughter? That's tough forgiveness. Take one more example, sacrifice. One thing to sacrifice a little of your time to help your buddy move his furniture to another apartment or another house, but it's a very difficult sacrifice, for instance, to quit your job, to take care of an elderly parent who has Alzheimer's disease and watch them suffer and lose their mental faculties until they pass away. Now that is sacrifice. These are the things that we're meant to learn. So here on earth, we shake our fists at God and say, why me? Why do I have all these difficult things? Why are you giving dumping this on me? And the answer is because you chose it. You chose it to learn the things you needed to learn. And so the things that we view as bad are actually good because don't we learn best through adversity? Well, we learn best so, the hard way. I know that much. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. And that's why we're here. Because up in heaven, we're all interconnected with the divine. As in those, ex ex uh, those, those examples I gave you, uh, with the Native and the Catholic, both felt that there was an underlying love. And they were part of it. They were integrated with it. And up there, there's this love that's so intense that people say it's like being in the swimming pool of love where every fabric of your being is just inundated with love. One person said if you were to add up all the love in your lifetime and put it in just one moment, it wouldn't equal what they felt one moment up there. And so with, with that in mind, there is no sickness, there's no death, there's no conflict. There's just all this peace and love. 
So that's a great place to feel blessed, but it's not a great place to become an individual through our own free will. That's why we come down to earth to be disconnected, to have to make difficult choices and to be on our own, to um, suffer the consequences of our actions and to learn from them. Um, So, you know, the near death experience for me gives me a whole different way of looking at life. Uh, I don't think, look at things in terms of sinfulness so much anymore or judgments that bad things happen because we deserve it or anything like that. I look at it as lessons here on a tough boarding school called Earth, and we go home when we're done. So I I get the feeling I know where you're headed, but I, I want to ask you just to be making sure I'm all we're on the same page before I get too much lost, more lost. We're talking. <laughs> Sorry, <there. laughs> no, no, you're good. It's good. <laughs> No, it's good. I, I, I'm good. It's good. We're on the same page to this point, but I, are we talking reincarnation or are we just talking one swing through? Ah, see, you're, you're, you definitely are following along. So this is, this is a tough thing uh, in the Western world because people who have near-death experiences do say that we tumble in time. Uh, we do reincarnate over time in a spiral of lessons that get us closer to the source, which uh, some people may call it God. Uh, source is maybe a better word because it's the source or creation of everything. We're all part of, everything is part of, of source, of this great intelligence and essence that defines the whole universe. So this is what they're saying. Um, so, you know, It's a different kind of reincarnation, though, than maybe a Hindu or Buddhist would believe in, in that they say that basically we go through life, we develop our karma, then we die, then we're immediately reborn into something higher or lower, as like a bug, or if you do really bad, or if you're higher, a Hindu would say you might be a higher caste level, like a Brahmin priest, and then at the end, you become one with the universe. What people who have near-death experiences are saying is that heaven is always our home, or the spiritual realm is always our home. And then when we die, we stay there for a while, and it's our choice, and then we start learning from our last life, and then we start preparing for a new life uh, when we're ready to start something new, to learn something new, then we make a choice to come back. And that happens over and over. Um, and through that, we ascend and become more than what we are. And then I guess the follow-up question is, does that cycle ever stop? Uh, not for so long that you can't count the years. In the end, as we ascend, we become closer and closer to the source. And then at some point, trillions upon trillions upon trillions of years from now, we we may merge back into the source from whence we came. Because God is eternal, or the source is eternal, never was born, never dies, and since we're part of source consciousness, we never were born or never die. But we as individuals were born, and we are toddlers in this process, and then through a great length of time, we actually ascend and become more. That's what they're saying. Now that we've kicked, kicked, kicked your book to the curb and just had a fun conversation yeah. about these things. <laughs> right. I don't discuss the reincarnation in my book, actually. Um, 
it, it's a little controversial, and I don't want to put people off. Uh, but since you asked the question directly, I'll give you a direct answer. <laughs> so let's get let's get back more into the book, since that's why I kind of brought you on to sure. um, talk about the book. You ha- you have stories plus um, some of your. How do you want to? I don't even want to put phrase and put words in your mouth. What do you commentary of what's going on? Yeah. So basically, in my book, um, it's it's. You know, there's a lot of near-death experience books out there about people's own individual experiences. There's a few uh, books out there about trends. Um, what my book is is to interview a few people uh, who, I, who I've known, maybe about six or seven people, but mostly use um, stuff from the NDERF website, uh, quotes from people who had near-death experiences. And from the 3,000 or so I read, I included several hundred that I thought were appropriate uh, or good samples for each topic. And so the topics that I discussed in my book include uh, what is it like to be soul? What is soul? And how is our soul or the I am, the consciousness within different when we're in the spiritual realm than when we're here on earth as human beings? Uh, I also talk about mission. As I alluded to before, we all have some missions to learn how to love. Uh, I also talk about love and skill sets, which I briefly talked about. I talk about spiritual beings um, and how they relate to us and how we relate to them. Uh, I talk about lost souls or hellish experiences. I talk about God's diversity uh, and different ways to know the source or God. I talk about time. Uh, Time is relative up there, and it serves a different purpose than the linear time experience here. And I talk about the need for world um, transformation to increase uh, spiritual awareness in the world. So those are kind of the major topics that, that I include in the book. I, I, I still don't know how you got it all in one book, but, you know, I, I, I'm more of <laughs> well, a sweet true. person I'm not myself. Sure either. <laughs> I'm not sure either. It, uh, it was a longer book initially, but I had to, um, um, you know, cut it down to make it more... Uh, you know, reader friendly. So, so I guess that yeah, it's a lot, lot in there. So I guess that begs that that horrible question that you don't want to ask be asked. But second book, Possibly? yes, yes, <laughs> I do. I I do have a second book, and probably a third book coming as well. My second book actually is called Jesus and the Near Death Experience. What's really fascinating uh, is that. Uh, of all the spiritual beings seen in this in, in heaven, if you will, uh, Jesus is the most frequently seen. So it begs the question, who is Jesus and why is he seen so frequently and what is he saying? So these are some of the uh, answers that I, uh, qu- questions I try to answer and nobody's written a book on that subject. Uh, there's been a lot and tons of near-death experience books out there but none dedicated to Jesus. And I think, well, if he's the most frequently seen being up there, that deserves some time and attention. So that's what I, that's going to be my second book. Yeah, I was going to say, that's an interesting, um, I'm sure semi, I'll be polite and say semi-controversial topic at best. Yes, yes, it is. It'll it'll be um, 
uh, probably be controversial, uh, not less with the NDE community and probably more with fundamentalist Christianity. Uh, so, um, because it, it, it's, uh, it's, you know, some people who say, well, the only information, uh, spiritual information can only come from the Bible may have some difficulty with it, but, uh, um, in some ways, it's in many ways it's not inconsistent with the Bible, but it is additional information. So this is where some people are going to have problems with it. I, I guess do you have a projected projected <laughs> done date, or you just started, or how far in the process? Are no, you? no, it's it's done. I'm just uh, I just uh, you know finalizing some editing stuff with the, with the so publishers. You're hit, so, so you're hitting with a hammer by Christmas. You're hitting with a hammer a few times. Is what you're telling me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. We're just finalizing. I'm hoping to get it out by Christmas. So it's a lot closer to my book. That's good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I have and a then bunch I'm of... also working. Go oh, ahead. Go ahead no, I was going to say, what, are you, what else are you working on? My, my, my silly joke and wait. Oh, well, uh, uh, the third book I'm working is on spiritual guides and spiritual beings. So that's the third book that's coming out. So. Anyway, a broad range of stuff. I touch on spiritual beings in, in my first book, but I'm greatly expanding that in, in the second book. And, and you know, I know there's a lot of books out there that come from more mediums-type things, and uh, but I'm writing it more from a near-death experience encounters and from I, that, that angle. And I must apologize at this point. I'm hearing the metal roof that I have immediately out behind me, and it is pouring outside, so I'm assuming if I'm hearing it, the listeners are hearing it. If you're not... I just apologize for nothing, but I'm assuming, since I'm hearing it through my headphones, I'm assuming you guys are probably hearing it as well through the microphone. But nevertheless, that's yeah. Fortunately, <laughs> I don't I don't hear it on my end, so maybe that's good. <laughs> so maybe that's good. Maybe maybe they're not hearing it. But just in case somebody out there, there's always one that can hear the the mouse running through my walls. It seems so. Just figure <laughs> throw it out there and apologize in advance. So I'll have to hear it later. Um, so I'm guessing, because we're referencing a point in the beginning, very beginning of this conversation about growing up in a, a Christian church, that you've kind of uh, had a transformation of, of faith through this pro- well, through multiple points of this process, it seems. Yes, yes, I, I have. I was uh, actually raised in a very scientific household. My brother and father were physicists. My mom's a geologist. And I was a psychologist, black sheep of the family, being in the social sciences. So, I was going to say that kind uh, of <laughs> man. Yeah. You just don't fit. You're that round peg and square hole kind of deal all over, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. And so, you know, I was raised in a, in a pretty traditional Baptist background and have a lot of um, understanding about Christian theology. And so, uh, just for me personally, and and this is just me personally. Uh, everybody has their own experience is that um, I still remain a Christian, but uh, I'm, I'm, I would say much more open. And I would say, uh, as, a, as a difference from now and then, is that I'm, um, I see spirituality uh, in a growing sense rather than in a static, fixed sense. So let, let me put it this way. If you were to put all the knowledge of the universe and represent it into maybe your whatever bedroom wall or, or living room wall you're looking at now. And that's all the knowledge of the universe. How much does humanity know? 
would it be a microscopic point? Probably. I don't think you would even be able to see that point on the wall uh, because, you know, the knowledge in the universe has got to be huge, right? And so if the source, if one believes in God or source as behind all that, you know, then how much would our understanding of God represent? It would be incredibly small. And so, you know, if God is infinite, how many Bibles would it take, for instance, to describe an infinite God? Would a trillion be enough? It wouldn't be enough because God is infinite. So I think there's a lot of hubris out there, and I'm not picking on Christianity or any particular religion, but I'm just saying that there is no way that the human brain can fathom the infinite intellect and complexity of the Creator. And so when I look at something like the Bible and take, you know, great um, respect for it and see it as, as an authoritative book in many ways, but I see it as, as only one little fragment of a huge reality. And so what near-death experiences have done is it really awakened me to a much expanded uh, view of, of possibilities of knowing. And so... Uh, I learned a lot of things about, um, you know, uh, why we're here and, and what it's like in heaven and, um, you know, what what is our, our purpose on life and what is our purpose through eternity and uh, what happens to our loved ones and are they with us and many things like this. So it's still infinitely small piece to the puzzle but it's more, it's more for me. And so when you ask me how I've been transformed, I've been transformed in that way. And I also realize the importance of being other centered. And, and I know that different religious traditions emphasize this too, but what I really learned is that God is a destination and not any church or, or synagogue or whatever. It's, it's there, there may be means to help somebody find God, but the real finding of God in the destination is through our own heart, our own transformation towards that destination. So that's how I've been transformed spiritually, if that makes any sense. It does. It's kind of similar to my own little wondering why certain things didn't make sense to me after I you know, taught them for so many years. So. Right, right. Spent exactly. Time Still out there, kind of, I guess this is a bad pun at this point, but we're roaming the desert trying to figure out what was going on and what's how I feel and how things connect. And and that and that's awesome. And basically, from near-death experiences, that's what we're supposed to do here. And that curiosity and that seeking is where it's at. And it doesn't matter whether you, at the end, find all the answers. Obviously, you're not. Nobody finds all the answers. Um, oh, wait, wait. I'm doing this show to find all the answers, so hold on, hold up. Don't say nobody has found them yet. <laughs> Maybe you will someday. <laughs> but if you can find some of them, and you know, and, and your listeners, too, by the things that you do and things that you talk about on, on, on your show, uh, then now that's wonderful. You know, that's what you're, that's what we're all supposed to be doing. Nah, truthfully, I hope to be a small piece in that big puzzle you were talking about earlier. Maybe some, yeah, somebody explore something. Yeah, absolutely. You, you are. In fact, there there is this great analogy 
um, that many near-death experiencers see. Uh, many receive an image of a tapestry, okay, when they're up there. And they see themselves as one little thread in this infinite tapestry of threads, okay? So that may me seem really small, but that three pull on that thread, it impacts all the other threads, okay? And if you take that thread away, then the tapestry is incomplete, so the point being is, is that every life, no matter how small we feel, is very important. And not only is it important because we're a thread in the tapestry, but it's important because we're all part of source consciousness. And this society and this world around us is, you know, has so many ways to say we're not important. You don't look a certain way, or you're, you're, too, you're, you're too old, or you don't have enough wealth or you got to have fame or money or prestige, whatever. Uh, so a certain kind of job, if you don't have these things in society says, well, you're less important. And what people of near death experiences say is that we're equally important. Every single one of us is equally important because we're all part of God consciousness. We're part of one consciousness, our individuality. We do have individuality. Uh, and that's a gift from God, but it's a very basic element. We're all basically uh, a part of source consciousness. And so if I can give an analogy, imagine throwing a big pane of glass out of a 30-story window. It shatters into a million pieces of glass on the pavement. Each of those pieces of glass is part of the whole, uh, you know, pane initially. Now, n none of the little shards are the whole pane. Uh, but you know we're uh, but it's still part of of the pain. Um, or you can use analogy um, of a drop going into an ocean. You know you take a drop out, it's separated, but you can put it back in and it's in there. But it's all water. It's all the same thing. So we're all drops in this ocean of of one source consciousness, and we're given the gift of individuality. And I don't know if this, and I know I've been probably wrapping people's spinning head, heads around here. Uh, so let me let me just jump full in and say that um, we are perfect in our imperfections. And this is really important because, you know, for instance, there's one person who had a near-death experience and she saw Jesus. And she said, well, you know, I had a horrible life and she was really ashamed and she thought she wasn't important. And she thought she saw herself as a sinner based on how religion taught her. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't, don't worry about that. You're, you're human. You're expected to make mistakes. You know, this is God shines through your cracks. And that's true with every listener. God shines through your cracks. And that even though you're, you're, you may made mistakes, maybe a lot of mistakes, it doesn't matter. It's not a sense of sin. It's a more of an issue of maturity. And, you know, and ultimately we're going to learn and ascend and become more than we are. And that's part of the process. Um, so it doesn't matter that we're immature now. Uh, for instance, if you're a parent and you have an 18-year-old and you have a three-month-old, Right. Do you love the 18-year-old more than the three-year-old, even though the three-year-old is taking up that frosted cupcake and smashing all over his face? No, you don't. And you understand that that three-month-old 
can't help it because the three-month-old hasn't matured enough now not to do that. And that's us. We're all spiritual toddlers here. We're all spiritual babies trying to make our way. And as we learn, we will become more, and everything is good. Uh, not that we don't want to do these things because they're hurtful to ourselves and to others, but we're not judged uh, because God has unconditional love. The source is unconditional love. And, and why wouldn't the source have unconditional love? Because we're all part of that. That I hopefully I didn't wrap every buddy's mind around too much in the, in the tangled mess, but well, I I think we were there, but that's okay. It's all good. Good thing about doing yeah. the, this variety of programming, you can go back and listen to it recorded again and stop and, and walk away from it, which is always good. Not that I encourage people to walk but, away from it, but at times, right, right, <laughs> at times you need to. It's like picking up a book. You you know you read it a little bit and need a little pro- time to process. Right, right. This stuff is heady stuff. I mean, it's complex stuff. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's, but you would expect it to be, uh, because you're talking about stuff that's beyond our normal human existence. We're talking about the huge, the huge issues. So that you'd expect to be. I scribbled this question in the margin when you were talking earlier. And I, okay, want to add, right. I, I want to ask it compared to the rest of the things that I have scribbled down from earlier. But you, you mentioned having a person telling you a a message from beyond earlier. Was that, the, has that been the only time that somebody's come through like that and given you a message or has there been others since then? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, basically about three months after I started writing my book, I kept reading about all these people experiencing spiritual guides. And so, you know, when I read their death experiences, say they go up and they meet, a deceased loved one, and then they said, and, and they says, "Oh, you know, we miss you so much, and, and and and, but know that we've always been with you during your life, uh, whether they perceive them or not. They're always with us." And so, you know, your deceased grandmother, grandfather, father, whoever up up there, you know, who you miss, they actually are with you more now that they're deceased than when they were alive, and they know you better and they love you more purely. So this is great comfort for those who feel alone in this world to know that you're never alone and that you have spiritual beings, deceased loved ones in particular, who love you and are with you always. And this is a great message. Uh, So, uh, you know, I know that they come through. In my book, I talk about how they come through through gentle nudges, either through a a quick, brief thought that you may think is your own, you know, a thought of conscious, uh, um, uh, conscience, a thought or a feeling or through dream. And so, you know, or even in, even the synchronicity. Uh, so, you know, but, but then there are other accounts where they come through very clearly, especially in terms of grief, times of unresolved grief or, or protection or, or what have you. There, there are cases of a very, very uh, clear, overt um, after-death communications by spiritual beings. And so I wanted to share more of that. I had that little taste from, from the inmates to see sister. So I, I reached out and said, hey, you know, I know you're there. So you might as well talk to me. <laughs> and, so, and I prepared myself over, over the months to, to believe that in faith. Uh, so, you know, I basically got an answer right away. I got an answer through flashes of light and image. Uh, four of them. And so I realized that there was four spiritual beings that were with me. 
Uh, one was my great grandfather, another great aunt, another my spiritual guide, who's kind of this, you know, old golden angelic being. I, you know, I, I use the word angel loosely because that's what people can resonate with. Uh, and then, and then the fourth one, uh, I believe, to 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 actually be Jesus. So, and I think each one of us have have a similar hierarchy, uh, increasing hierarchy of spiritual beings that um, are with us. And so, since then, I've had a lot of communication from the other side uh, through uh, these four beings and others uh, through image and light and dream so yeah they, they occur pretty frequently um in fact that's kind of what my third book's going to be about it's going to be uh about making sense of all what i've received because a lot of it has deep meaning and messages to me so i well I, i've got a totally unrelated question but it's it's related to what you were talking about but not your book so it's in the third book, probably. So I'm just going to ask you. Maybe you should put it in the third book. What do you say to all these people out there who have these uh, trying to be polite, famous spirit guides? Um, I don't want to put names on it because I, if I do, somebody will be like, "You were talking right, about right. me." But you know, you know, I'm talking about the more famous uh, celebrity types as their spirit or a quote. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't. I don't want to judge anybody's particular experience. I think it's possible uh, because everything is unity. Um, so I don't want to say that somebody doesn't have a famous guy, but obviously not everybody has a famous guy. Um, I don't. Um, you know, I, what I usually find is that most of our spiritual helpers uh, at the lowest level are people in our soul group. And the people we tumble in time with, and so a lot of times the the, the immediate helpers that help us are uh, deceased relatives, um, and then maybe someday we'll turn around and do them the favor when they come and live their life, and we can be a spiritual helper. And those are the ones we interact with with, with the most. Um, our angelic spiritual guides are kind of more like a second-tier supervisor, typically, who kind of oversee different soul groups and they're probably less directly involved with our lives, but perhaps more frequently indirectly involved, um, but certainly can be directly involved at times. Uh, and then, you know, the highest level of Jesus, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, and, you know, being like that is probably involved in most, if not all lives to some extent. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's at a whole other level, you know what I'm saying? So I would say that most people, if they're going to be receiving help from the other side, uh, what they're going to recognize is probably deceased loved ones, more than likely. So hey, I want to thank you for blowing my mind tonight, but before I hang up on you, give me your website and where people can find you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Near Death. Exp. Psy. Um, and, uh, and dot com. So it's um, yeah, did I say that right? Yeah, uh, it's it's near death. Exp. Psy. dot com. That, that's it. So uh, I would also say that my my book, if you're interested, and 
and more mind-blowing information, uh, I would say you can go on to Amazon.com. It's uh, it's both on uh, paperback and Kindle version, as well as Apple iTunes and uh, BarnesandNobles.com. Roboy, thank you. Like I said, seriously, I'm I'm gonna be up late tonight thinking about some of this stuff, probably, which is which is okay. Okay. <laughs> which is okay for That's me. That's good. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, thank you, and have a good evening. Thank you so much. And I, I hung up on him quick, but that's okay. That's how these things go at times, it seems. Running downhill here in the fastest hour in Paranormal Talk Radio. Quickly running out of time, as usual in these programs. Man, interesting stuff tonight. Agree or disagree? I don't, I don't, I don't know either way. I'm like I said, I'm going to be up thinking about this stuff for a while tonight. But it's it's good to get it out there, and I'm just blown away that near-death experiences are so uniform across the board. And I, I guess I should know that based off some of the ones that I've been told about. But yeah, I guess you know, I guess I didn't pay that much attention until it was pointed out to me, and then now that it's been pointed out to me, I guess I notice it. Okay. Yeah, sometimes we don't notice the obvious until somebody else points it out to us. I know. Doesn't sound fair. We should be the one noticing that and putting it out there for the world to hear. But, yeah, we can't do it all, can we? Or can we? That is the question. Ah, that's right. Yeah, I had the pregnant pause there. Sorry. Trying to get the timing right, but we'll get there. The Direct Ad Links. DirectAdLinks.com. Final thought of the evening. Yes, I'm going here. Halloween going to make some people upset. The biggest fraud in the paranormal community. Yes, I said it. I'm going there, and here we go. The biggest fraud in the paranormal community is shadow figures. Why do I say this? How dare you say this? Burn them at a stake. Well, when you're investigating in the dark, there's no light. So how do you get a shadow? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Those people, all those investigators out there, let me know how you get a shadow when you don't have light. That is the question. That's the, it's been bothering me for days. I'm glad I waited to the show to say it. I almost said it live on Periscope earlier. If you're not following me on Periscope or Instagram or Facebook, I'm doing live videos before the shows for some nonsensical reason to me. The shadows are darker. But isn't a shadow... Block the light. I don't know. This is where I'm confused. That's why I'm that's why I'm throwing it out there. I'm looking for somebody smarter than me to answer my question. Yeah, it wouldn't be called a shadow then. That's what I'm saying. Shadow figures are the biggest fraud in the paranormal community. That's where I'm at tonight. We'll we'll be back next week, better than ever. Yeah, maybe. I doubt it. We'll be back next week, I'm sure. Good stuff. Looking forward to it. Follow me, subscribe. If you haven't pushed YouTube, go ahead. We're just about 100 subscribers short of the goal that I've set forth, and we're gonna we're gonna get there one way or the other. That's it. I've had enough. We're out.
with Take Two Radio on Facebook or Twitter at Take Two Radio. For email updates on future shows, follow at Blog Talk Radio. For previous episodes, upcoming guests, and more, visit TakeTwoRadio.com.